Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I continue my visit to a superb photographic exhibition of three key photographers of this city, which is on at the Asia Society Hong Kong Centre. Last week, Ed Stokes, the exhibition's curator and founder and director of the Photographic Heritage Foundation, told me about the work of the earliest photographer in the exhibition, Hedda Morrison, who came here for six months in 1946 and showed a Hong Kong trying to recover from the ravages of war. This week, Ed tells me about Lee Fook Chi, who came here from Singapore and, despite a life of poverty, left us with some beautiful black and white images of Hong Kong in the 1950s. He then moves on to New Zealand's finest photographer, Brian Brake, who created a book about Hong Kong for Time Life and was a fabulous photojournalist across Asia. The exhibition, Recovery, Resilience, Resurgence, 30 Years of Hong Kong Photographs, 1940s to 1970s, is on until June the 6th. Lee Fook Chi was born in Singapore. He was an orphan. He was taken in by a family, but it never really gelled, and he became actually quite unhappy. Left home and eked out a living on the streets of Singapore in the latter part of the war, and in 1947 came to Hong Kong. Lee had great drive. He was an extremely intelligent man, but he had only ever had two months schooling. And therefore, through his life, as for many people who came to Hong Kong then, both immigrants and refugees. He strived, he was always looking to make his life better, but he never really prospered. He simply kept above water. The key periods in Lee Fook Chi's life, certainly concerning this exhibition, were the 1950s when he set out to take photographs to sell to tourists on the peak. And that was how he made his living. And those are the photographs we see here today. The second period, leaving aside his personal life, was when he was older, in the late 90s, he became aware that heritage was of increasing interest. And as an elderly man, he then returned to the peak to sell his photographs, his prints, of his 1950s negatives. And that was how we met. He himself had great resilience. Uh, he lived a life in many ways of, as so many Hong Kongers did, of hardship. He lived for some 10 years in squatter homes, first in Taihang, later Shakiwan. And so he himself, yes, precisely epitomised the resilience of Hong Kong people generally and Hong Kong itself in that time. What I think also is amazing with him, considering those sort of living conditions, is how he managed to preserve his photographs. Because we talk these days about, you know, trying to reduce humidity, and, and I know how many negatives, I'm sorry to say, that I've ruined through not doing that. And yet he's managed to preserve his photographs and his camera. Yes, he certainly did. Of course, so did Hedda Morrison, so did Brian Brake, but they were photographers working at a professional level where you know, the care and preservation of your negatives is paramount. Lee Fook Chi, you're exactly right, preserved his negatives, but he did so despite much greater challenges because he never lived in an air-conditioned home. He had numerous home moves due to the various vicissitudes of his life. But throughout that period... He kept his negatives, and they were kept, in fact, as I first saw them, in his tiny 10 by 11 foot Taiwo public housing home in three mooncake tins. And those remained his cherished possessions with his camera that is here in the exhibition. Probably the greatest enemy of preserving negatives and transparencies, any film material, is humidity. 
And of course, Hong Kong in the summer is an extraordinarily humid place. Exactly how Li Fuqi managed to preserve his, his negatives, which are pristine, as they were in the 50s, despite living without air conditioning, I do not know. Uh, Hedda Morrison had means to do it. She used silica gel. Brian Brake was uh, essentially a photographer at a much higher level of work and achievement who would have had all kinds of technological aids, dehumidifying cupboards and so on. Interesting, yeah, yeah. But I'm so glad. Thank you very much, Lee Fook Chi. In the middle of the Lee Fook Chi gallery here, in fact, we've got a few black and white photographs, his birth certificate, pass, is that a passport or an identity card? You've just got a few aspects of his life here, or paperwork of his life. Because we wanted the exhibition to focus most on Lee Fook Chi being the Hong Kong person, the Hong Kong belonger, whereas Hedda and Brian photographed Hong Kong but were not of Hong Kong themselves, uh, we decided to make the cases about Li Fuqi. This one here is really quite fascinating because it has, as you said, his birth certificate from Singapore, father recorded, quote-unquote, coolly. The documents you mentioned that might be passports, in fact, are his shipping papers as a seaman. Uh, one is uh, a signing-on paper for the Royal Interation Lines. You can see, incidentally, that the signature is finger-stamped, not signed. Uh, Li Fuqi himself could write but many seamen then were completely illiterate. Hence, more typically, they signed on with thumbprints. Photographs of shipboard life, shore passes, and then coming on to the right, some very, very poignant material. In two senses. First, that despite Li Fuqi's great achievement and the legacy, the heritage and legacy we see here today in his photographs, as you said, he led a humble life. And this case, in truth, represents the entire documentary record of his life. Whereas if you could imagine Hedda Morris and Brian Brake, or probably you or myself, you could fill cases of, of documents, your life materials, the record of what you did. This case, birth certificates, shipping photos, shipping papers, some immigration documents, taxi driver license, ice cream man, are the entire record of his life. And that's also why when we did the book about Lee Fook Chi, it depended entirely on our book's co-author, Patricia Chiu, recording oral history with Lee. Oh, because the, there was no documentary material to dig into. So the Lee Fook Chi book is based on general history of Hong Kong, of which he is part and creates the setting for his life. And a tiny, tiny bit on these documents, but 90% on the oral history Patricia Chu recorded with Lee Fook Chi. Yes, I, I love this. It's, it's a pink receipt, an official receipt from the head office in Windsor House of the Dairy Farm Ice and Cold Storage Company. And it says in blue handwriting there, one ice cream vendor's bicycle sold to Fanling ice cream vendor Lee Fukchi and uh, um, for a hundred dollars in cash. And it's just interesting, you know, as you say, that he's, he's selling ice creams. He's later, uh, earlier and then later selling his photographs. On, on the peak and, and has a chance meeting with you. You're right that probably the most significant items in this case, besides Lee's birth certificate, is this dairy farm record of selling an ice cream bicycle and the photograph of Lee himself outside a school in Shangshui where he sold ice creams for 10 years. And the reason this is so significant is that deep inside, despite his humble life, Lee had a great degree, a very great degree of self-respect, of independence, and a belief that whatever you did, 
you should do well. So he took these wonderful photographs. But we know from the oral history Patricia recorded that Lee took enormous pride in being a good ice cream seller. Always neatly turned out as his father, his adoptive father, had encouraged him to be. And he, in truth, had enormous self-respect for his period as an ice cream seller. In no way was it, a, to him, a demeaning thing to do. The other interesting point is that when I first went to... I met Lee on the peak. Uh, we then once engaged just he and myself. I wanted it to be just he and I with his limited English, my limit, very limited Cantonese. Later we brought in other people. But I wanted our first meetings to be him and myself, two photographers. So we met a few times in Central, and then I went to his home in Taiwo. And the first thing I saw was an ice cream chest. And I thought, why on earth does this man have an ice cream chest in his flat? Only later, when Patricia did the oral history, did that connection become real. And that ice cream chest in the flat, which he by this stage is using as a tabletop to work his photos on, is this precise one on his bicycle. Each of these three photographers are excellent in their own right, but each of them had a different reason for taking photographs. And Lee Fukchi, most of the time, he's thinking about the tourists who'll buy them. So he's got harbour shots, shots of the trams. So the fact that he's taking them in the 1950s means that now the Foundation and, and us having a look at this exhibition have an excellent record of the 1950s. But occasional times, he's actually taking a real news shot it's a ship on its side. Yes, it's a ship of the Royal Interocean Lines uh, following one of the devastating typhoons of the 1950s, Typhoon Gloria, and it's been washed ashore on the rocks of Junk Bay. An incredible photo with this great ship literally on its beam ends at about 45 degrees lying against this diagonally sloping rock face. In fact, almost certainly Lee went to photograph the ship because he had, it's a very hard place to get to, he had been a sailor on the Royal Interocean Line ships. In fact, his last voyage was with RAL. And he must have hiked over this very rugged bit of Hong Kong landscape down to Junk Bay to take this extraordinarily graphic shot of a ship literally on the rocks. It was, in fact, later over a long period, it took about a year, salvaged and taken off the rocks is an interesting perspective because you've got the rocks sloping down, so all of these different layers of rocks sloping down, and against it, as you say, at this 45-degree angle, you've got all of these, well, you've got the big ship's funnel, but you've also got other chimneys, other vents coming up, and uh, mast, lifeboats, the netting of this bridge coming over, and in the middle there is just a man standing there. Yes, a rather forlorn man, probably what in, in maritime terms I, I think is called a shipkeeper, the man who's left on a ship when there's really no point anybody else being there just to keep an eye on things. So there he is with this rope bridge leading up to a diagonally sloping hunk of rock. A very, very graphic photograph. So this is the kind of camera, or is this actually Lee Fook Chi's camera? This is Lee Fook Chi's camera, uh, a Zysa Conta, from the 1950s um, with its case we can see stitched together with fishing line almost certainly by Lee Fukchi and a, a, a kind of miniature light box showing a negative. So here we see the, the silver arm that would fold out the bellows of the camera 
we can look into the back of the camera where the film would be wound very tightly across the film plate. And interestingly, in fact, too, there is now quite a resurgence in people using film cameras, both for the beauty of the cameras themselves, and this is just a wonderful piece of machinery, if you like, beautifully formed and crafted, but also because of the quality of film. And there is a special memory that we can see here in the panel just nearby, titled Lee Fook Chi's Zysong Contest. And the two photographs of Lee, one, the young man in his the studio where he learnt photography, with that very same camera slung around his neck, uh, Lee Fook Chi looking pretty pleased with himself um, a few years after arriving in Hong Kong. And beside it, the first photograph I took in Lee's home on my very first visit with Lee and his two Zaisa Contas. Again, the same camera. This goes on to a very special memory. After we'd met, my relationship with Lee, which needed development and nurturing because we were hoping he would agree to publish a book, but that's a very major undertaking. And he, of course, was a very little educated man, and we had to treat him, we had to work with him exactly as you would with any professional photographer. And in that period, a very great ally and a great friend was the uh, journalist consultant Liu Qinming, uh, who helped me enormously. And in one of our meetings, Lee exclaimed, Had I died sooner, all would have been lost. But now, by chance we have met, you can save my photos. We must keep my photographs alive for Hong Kong. And that, I believe, this exhibition does. But the final memory of Lee, and this is a very poignant one, is that when uh, Patricia Chu was recording Lee's life, the oral history, to write the book. Mr. Lee by then was extremely ill. In fact, he was terminally ill. Uh, he'd lost the use of his legs, he was in a wheelchair, and he really did not want to be around much longer. He was an extraordinarily independent man. And to be in a wheelchair for him, to be unable to walk every day up to the peak, as he did well into his 80s, was anathema. And I was there with Lee for the only interview I was involved in, because it was to record his photographic technique. And myself being a photographer, it was best that I led the interview with Patricia Chu translator. And to enliven Mr. Lee's mind, I handed Lee Fook Chi his camera. And in a moment, as any photographer would, he grasped the camera, left palm under the body, right index finger on the shutter release. It was very, very touching. And both Patricia and I, in that fleeting moment, very poignant moment, we sensed again the photographer who took these photographs, a young man who roamed Hong Kong all those years ago. When we look at the work of Lee Fook Chi, that's very much with the tourist in mind. So as a young man, he'd gone up to the peak selling. He, as you say, recognised the value of heritage again, thought people could be interested again. So as a much older man, he's back up on the peak. So when he's taking his photographs, that's very much a tourism photo, even though for us it has this historic value. The final photographer is Brian Brake from New Zealand, very successful from the late 1950s on through to the 70s. And much of his work was magazine work and also Life magazine. Yes, Brian Brake was one of the photographers who flowered in the great era, really the greatest era of colour magazine photojournalism. New Zealander, New Zealand's most celebrated international photographer, 
and in fact he had more life cover stories than any other photographer. As you say, he lived in Hong Kong for some time. Of course, then he was, as any photojournalist would have been doing, roaming the world, quite literally. But Hong Kong was home, and his partner was a Hong Kong person. Brake, therefore, knew Hong Kong intimately through his long period here. He'd also photographed, incidentally, in China in the late 50s, and is still revered for his photographs of late 1950s Beijing. Interesting parallel with Hedda Morrison. He's there right up front, close, with Mao Zedong and Zhou Enlai. And he's very much loved in China for those photos. But his Hong Kong photos primarily were photographs he would have taken over the years, as any photographer does, roaming around where they live. And then in the early 1970s, Time Life, the organisation, began a series of books called Great Cities of the World, London, Paris, New York, Tokyo. Hong Kong was one of them. And Brake was commissioned to be that book's photographer. Uh, of course, a big budget, time life, then were flush with money, uh, working with a, a journalist called Robert Elegant. And he photographed Hong Kong with incredible detail and range over some three to four years. Colour transparency work, and we see it here. And his images, which incidentally will be the Foundation's next book, without a shadow of doubt. I would say are the most comprehensive photo documentary record of Hong Kong by any photographer, local or overseas. It's a very interesting looking at um, Brian Bray. I mean, the others also, um, from the fact that we're moving also into colour photography here, the others are black and white, and all of them are outstanding in their own way. Lee Fuchi had photographed in black and white throughout his period as a photographer in 1950s, and those are the images, prints, we see here today. And he sold his work in the 50s up on the peak. But by the late 1950s, colour film, transparencies and prints were coming in. Colour postcards were much more common. You could buy colour transparencies on little uh, uh, round L things, and any tourist place would have them. The peak, Tiger Balm Gardens, you, you just pick off a photograph. So that meant that for Lee Fook Chi, his living selling black and white was no longer possible. And he retreated, but as we said, he kept his negatives. In the 1960s and going forward, almost all photojournalists were working in colour because the big means of publication was the colour magazines, above all magazines like National Geographic Time Life. And in that period, which you really could call the golden era of photojournalism, magazine photojournalism, primarily colour. Magazines like Time Life, Parry Match, National Geographic. Brake was one of the great exponents. And here we see on this panel about Brian Brake, uh, photographing with his 35mm uh, Leica, almost certainly in Shenwan, a man with a, a carrying pole walking past him, a continuity back to the Hedda Morrison photos. And there's still a huge amount of manual labour. And then the young man in New Zealand up in the Alps photographing in a picture, a reproduction, of the life cover story about the monsoon in India that made his name. Once that was published, Brake never looked back. Yeah, interesting. I mean, just looking around at the photographs that you've got on display here today, and a wonderful opportunity for a successful photographer create a book about Hong Kong. And that was for Time Life. So. When he's creating that book, what sort of angle is he trying to tell the reader all aspects of Hong Kong? Is he trying to sort of show a more leisure, a business, everything? 
Brave had lived in Hong Kong from the late 1950s and also travelled extensively in China then. So he's really based here throughout the 60s into the mid-70s, of course travelling the world because he was a roaming photojournalist, but Hong Kong was home. And therefore, as any photographer does when he or she lives in a place, he would have absorbed everything about it, its sense of place, its people, the feeling of the people, the changing moods of light, the different areas, the subtle tonalities, if you like, of any place, above all of a place as vibrant, as visually dramatic as Hong Kong. In the early 1970s, Time Life commissioned a series of books called Great Cities of the World, London, Paris, New York, Tokyo, and so on. Hong Kong was one of those cities. And Brake, given his great record as a documentary photographer, was commissioned to do the book. Most of those photographs in the exhibition here come from that period. Your question about was he advised what to shoot is the most interesting one because Brake was a pretty rare photojournalist in that he took a very, very close interest in how his photographs were published and also in what photographs editors selected. So for a project like this, a photographer could take 5,000 images. The book might only have probably 150 photographs. Brake was very, very particular and very controlling is the wrong word. He was just very creative. Yeah, yeah, and it's his own work. And he was setting up, unlike many photographers who set out to take individual images, he set out to create stories. That was what photojournalists did. The photo story is greater than the individual photographs, as we also hope this exhibition itself is. It's a story, not individual photos. So when he set out to do the book, how much did Time Life lean on him or advise him as to what he should shoot? In fact, we don't know. I will know later when we do the book about breakwater planning because those documents are all in the Museum of New Zealand, Te Papa Tongarewa, that holds his entire life's work. Photographs, cameras, documents, everything. Just an astounding body of material. But my guess is that he pretty much went his own way because he knew Hong Kong so well and he set out to create this very wide-ranging, moving story of Hong Kong. When I'm looking at some of the harbour views that he's got here, very blue-toned and very moody. Brake was a great exponent of light. Li Fuqi, interestingly, was not a light photographer. He was recording what, as you said, tourists saw. And by and large, he did it in the middle periods of the day when you do not have dramatic light. Hedda Morrison was much more a light woman. Uh, she was trained. She was looking for special light effects. But for her, the light effects had to be interpreted, seen through black and white. Brake, as you said is a colour photographer but with a great sense of light, credible sense of light. And one of the things he was extraordinarily good at, and we see it here in this dramatic photograph of looking from Chimchachui to Central, after 1972 because the Jardines building is there, then the tallest building in Hong Kong, indeed the tallest building in Asia, but it has this amazing mood because Brake has done what he quite often did do, Photograph on a cloudy day, but with early morning light shafting under the clouds. That light then reflects off the clouds back onto the, in this case, the water, and you have this incredibly glowing sense of colour resulting from that technique. Yeah, your, your eyes are automatically drawn down onto the vessels. There's about 10 vessels down in the water. There's a traditional junk, you know, there's uh, um, also some 
leisure boats and also the two star ferries, in fact, coming across, one from Wan Chai, the other from Central. And the perspective is from Chim Sa Chai and over to Jardine House, as you say, that named something else, which we won't name today. But, uh, <laughs> but also, yes, the tallest building at the time, 1972. We can also see his love that breaks wonderful use of light in this oh, very touching photo, I think, of... Aberdeen, yes. ...of an older boy, a teenager, probably with his brother, but we can't be sure poling a sampan with a young boy sheltering under an umbrella and you can see this beautiful tonality of light in the black umbrella that has a blue cast to it from the blue water. Also quite interesting because for fisher people it was only by the 1970s that children began going to school. So it's quite possible if the teenager and the boy are brothers that the teenager never went to school. Uh, Tanker boy. Ah, interesting. So yes, uh, Danka people. And uh, yeah, a wonderful photo. As you say, this young boy, he's hiding from the sun underneath an umbrella. Of all the break photos, and I love them all, but this one here has very special meaning, both individually, uh, photographically, and I think socially. It's a picture of children, there half a dozen of them, with a woman and a man, packaging up toys. Now, we can't be sure they're all siblings, the children. Probably they were, because families were then very big, or at the very least they were siblings and perhaps their cousins or their friends. Probably the man and woman are husband and wife. We can't be sure. But what we can be sure of is that then Hong Kong is taking off, but it is only taking off with the great work and effort of individual people, and particularly families. And this kind of scene of a family doing piecework with material made in factories here there on a street corner was absolutely typical of the times. It's also lovely because, again, as with Hedda Morrison, Brake would be as close to the girl at the foreground of the photo as probably I am to you, about two to three feet. And he could not take that photo off. It could not have been done without the family being relaxed and happy about what he was doing. And you, we can see that in the kind of amused smile of the woman, the mother. So they're assembling, yeah, toy screwball, it's called. And it's all these plastic items going into boxes. So it's a sort of kids doing assembly work, basically. That's right. And one of the things our exhibitions really do try to do, and this exhibition with the Asia Society Centre, it's certainly our biggest, we really hope will do, is to connect with people today. And some days ago, I was simply here wandering around, and I saw a man staring very, very intently at this particular photograph, and we got chatting. And he said, you know, when I was a kid, I used to make screwball packaging. Ah, yes. And he recognised the toy. Yes. Unbelievable. No, I'm sure all of these um, small... I mean, this is outdoors, um, and I doubt this is the main job of the mother or the father, uh, sort of a bit of assembly work on the side, yes. And uh, here we've also got uh, another one of Brian Brake, which is very much a picture of its time. This was taken in about 1970 and is a rooftop school. Yes, we see this group of primary school children. There are, what, about 40 of them on a rooftop doing their morning exercises. Wonderful timing by Brake because he's caught it exactly yes. at the moment with the children's arms outstretched legs wide. Yeah, sort of jumping jacks. <laughs> right. 
but also interesting because when it was taken was about the period when rooftop schools were beginning to disappear. Education had been boosted hugely by the government with this massive increase in population and for a period rooftop schools were the best option but by now gradually they're being phased out for properly built schools. Finishing up there on a photo of a rooftop school. My thanks to Ed Stokes, the founder and director of the Photographic Heritage Foundation, talking there on the exhibition Recovery, Resilience, Resurgence, 30 Years of Hong Kong Photographs, 1940s to 1970s, which is on until June the 6th at the Asia Society Hong Kong Centre. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.